In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Today, I'm, I'm really excited about the guest I have on the show. And of course, I know some of you are sitting there saying, well, Russell, you're excited about all the guests you have on your show, um, which, is, which is true most of the time. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited about our guest today. Uh, today, I've got Ron Hallmark. Ron is a uh, CSP, Certified Safety Professional. Uh, Ron, thanks for coming on the show today. Well, thank you, Russell. Really glad to be with you today. Well, uh I'm showing you here as uh, president and CEO of HSE Solutions Incorporated, which I think that's uh, your uh, your little consulting company. Uh, but uh, you've you've never you've never worked for uh, anybody bigger or important or anything in HSE, have you? Oh, I have. I have. <laughs> as a matter of fact, let's see. Uh, you and I were talking off air. Uh, Everybody knows I'm in Houston. Uh, Ron, you're actually in, uh, right now, you're in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, right? That's correct. And I think, I hope most people know what, what that means, but maybe they don't. It's, it's where the University <laughs> roll, of Alabama. Roll, roll Tide. Roll Tide, yeah. yeah for the University I, of Alabama. I think people... I think people even in 134 different countries uh, probably uh, know about uh, no I think everybody knows about about roll tide so uh, although they're not uh, they're not exactly rolling on uh, all four uh, wheels right now but uh, we'll see if uh, Saban can can pull that out uh, but uh, I, I guess Rom you being there in the in the in the sticks of Alabama you hadn't gotten around the world much have you oh well let's see I've, I've been to quite a few places actually it was for an old country boy it was it was an experience i've uh, actually lived in five countries uh, uh overseas for almost 13 years actually living uh it's an unusual situation where uh when you get in an industry where you actually go to several different countries and several different cultures and that's part of one of the things i i would like to to actually talk about a little bit today was that how moving around to different cultures really has an effect or, uh, on your safety culture or how you uh, get involved in safety because you, you can't go into one country and try to say, well, I'm going to implement uh, health HSE in this country the same way that you do in a, in a different country. Uh, a lot of it's got it based on their, their norms, based on their religious beliefs, and based on their culture. Uh, I, I've lived in, uh, just as an example, I'll give you a real, real quick synopsis. I've lived and worked in, uh, in the UK, which is Britain, uh, in uh, Venezuela, uh, South America. I was there twice. Uh, first time for for downstream, second time for upstream. Uh, then I went to uh, Abu Dhabi in the Middle East, which most people don't know well, where in the heck is Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi's in the same country as Dubai. I know everybody on this listening audience has heard of Dubai. Uh, it's part of the United Arab Emirates. The capital of United Arab Emirates is is Abu Dhabi, and I actually worked for the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company while I was there. Uh, then from there, I went to Pakistan, where I was 
at the time I was working for for BP British Petroleum, and uh, they had just taken most of the most of the time you were working for British Petroleum over the past twenty or thirty years, that, right? That's correct. That's correct. And I was kind of like there's an old Southern expression, throw burr rabbit in the briar patch. I know many of you, if older, would remember that expression where you, you think you're getting rid of the uh, the rabbit and you throw him in a burr uh, briar patch and you know that's that's his home well uh lots of times i would be picked to go to these really challenging as i'm putting it in mildly challenging places and they said hey ron would you like to go to pakistan i said well do you need to be there yep well i went to pakistan and uh you asked me uh, early on russell what were my two uh really uh imp- fervors or what were the two things that that i thought were really really keys or important uh to my motivations and and what things did i use to be successful in hse and i told you real quickly i didn't even have to stop and think i told you i said the two were risk management and risk assessment which are are not necessarily the same thing and i have listened to several of your of uh, your podcasts and i think maybe i'll just just do a real quick you know explanation about that and then yeah go for it and then uh the other thing is contractor safety but l- before i get into that and then i'm going to give you an example of uh, of using both of them uh risk management includes risk assessment now uh, risk assessment actually is the uh, technique where you actually uh, identify how safe or unsafe a task or a project is and again i i remember a few weeks ago you were talking to someone about process process safety management psm and uh in every job that involves process safety management you do a quantitative 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 risk assessment a qra and what you do is a very technical uh a way of looking at all the risk involved in this project and you do an analysis uh, actually a, a numerical quantitative analysis of all the risk and then when you look at the, all the main risks you look at the ways that you can uh, mitigate those risks and actually you put it in a computer in a computer this is all computerized and you come up with uh, whether or not uh, it's safe enough for you to build and if it's not you look at the the areas that aren't safe enough and then you you make the, put the uh the barriers what we call safety barriers in uh to to make sure that it is safe enough to meet the standard by which you're you're building the facility so uh but risk assessment you also do it and i remember you were talking to a uh, an hse manager just a few weeks ago he was talking about personal safety risk and how that they do jsa's which job safety analysis how they do toolbox talks where they talk about well before you do this job let's analyze the hazards that's personal safety but when you get down to it that's risk assessment where you you actually uh, look look at a job look at a risk look at what I'm fixing to do in my job and you analyze it for its hazards and then you put the barriers, make sure you have barriers, make sure you have safety uh, systems that will prevent you 
from getting hurt and whether it's uh, uh, wearing the proper PPE, whether you following procedures, whether you're using uh, approved equipment, uh, approved devices, whether or not you have barriers to prevent you from falling into something, whether if you're going into a confined space, whether or not you have all the equipment and it's properly used and you have people outside, that's personal safety. But putting that all together, you've got personal safety and you've got PSM. And, and a good example of that was when I was in, in, in uh, Venezuela the first time, I was down there as a project safety manager uh, to, to lead up a uh, building of a $3 billion refinery. And believe me, we had to use quantitative risk assessment before we got started and from that we were able to analyze what are the areas where we needed to put more devices in whether they were uh, limit devices for level devices for pressure devices for whatever we had to put in a detect detection systems uh, fire fire system whatever you had to put in to reduce the risk to where that you weren't going to blow that refinery up or have a, a major fire. So risk assessment basically boils down to the, a real simple uh, concept, which I've used everywhere I have traveled, which is you analyze, well, what are the problems? What are the risks? What are the, the things that are going to go wrong? And how do you, you take, then you take the 80-20 rule. You take what are the worst you take the twenty percent that that uh, that could be quickly worked on and quickly uh, uh, mitigated, and you reduce those, and then you that, therefore you lower your risk. And in every case, if you lower your risk, you're going to lo lower your. In the case of personal safety, you're going to lower your lost time accidents. You're going to lower your fatalities. In the case of process safety management, if you uh, define what your problems are. Uh, and you get the, the 20%, the 80-20 rule, you're going to lower your risk to having a catastrophic accident in that facility. Um, uh, you, you had asked me before we started, you said, well, give, give, give some examples. People like real examples. Well, uh, one, one of the examples I moved to Pakistan, I actually lived in Islamabad, but the, the uh, most of the uh, – operations the oil operations were outside of karachi now that in itself was a risk uh li living in that country <laughs> i uh you know this not saying anything in negative about the country but a lot of countries outside the united states you don't realize the risk of living there uh, i lived in a a compound that had guards on all four all four corners of, of the house where I lived and they carried heavy weapons. And then when you went to Karachi, uh, everywhere you went, you had an armed guard uh, traveling behind you in your armored car. And uh, when you got to where you were going to the office, they actually put the, uh, you've seen on some of these movies where they, they put the uh, mirror underneath your car to make sure there's not a bomb. So, so that wasn't an easy situation. But I'm jumping around, but using risk assessment and a contractor safety, just as an example in Pakistan, well, what I always would do when I get to a country, I'd say, okay, let's do a uh, assessment. Let's do a an audit, basically, which is a similar thing. Let's figure out 
what's going wrong? You know, I'll go around, I'll look at the facility. I'll say, okay, what kind of problems are you having? Where are you having? Let me look at the statistics. Where are the, where are the issues? And then from an 80, 20 point of view, I would using risk assessment, I would go just headlong into that, solving that problem. Well, of course there, and I'm just going to, this is the honest to goodness truth. When I got there, they were having, over one fatality per month, sometimes more than one. And they were having over a dozen lost time accidents per month. And this is not for a large company. There were several companies in Pakistan. And uh, so now is this at a refinery? Is this a no, th- this actually was upstream and they had upstream okay. and, and, and they didn't have pipelines. Now, this is really interesting. I'm glad you brought that up, Russell. Is it how did they get their oil to the refinery? And my part wasn't to do with the refinery. It was just the upstream. Uh, they carried it by trucks. Believe it or not. I was going to say, if it wasn't pipelines, it had to be trucks. It was trucks. Now, I'll just give you a guess. Where do you think 80 to 90% of their accidents were? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you've, okay, <laughs> if you've ever been to Pakistan, they don't have super highways. They don't have these nice two-lane. Even here in Tuscaloosa, we've got some three-lane and four-lane roads that are nice, nicely paved. Nope, not Pakistan. You're talking mostly when you're going from the oil field to the refinery, you're talking dirt roads. And you're talking, in some cases, single lane where if you meet another vehicle, you go off the road and let him pass. Uh, That's where 80% of our accidents were, had to do with it. The, the trucks, the truck drivers, et cetera, et cetera. Well, that gets into the contract safety. Well, one of the things after analyzing and finding out what the issues were, I said, okay, well, it looks like your issues are with contractors, especially the uh, transportation contractors. And then, of course, then you get, get into, and I'm not going to get into the weeds, but it's you say, well, are you applying any of your policies and procedures and uh, the, the things that you should do risk assessment, trying to see out why you're having these. Act- nope, 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 nope. Well, let's start doing it. So uh, one of the things we ended up doing actually, after we tried to mitigate and make the, you know, train the, the drivers, make them start putting devices on their equipment. So how fast they could go so we could track them, uh, uh, make sure there was proper maintenance for the for the for the trucks uh after about six months it just didn't seem to work out too well we made an improvement but we just weren't getting the uh cooperation from the from the contractor and so i went to leadership and of course if you don't have good support from leadership you're not going to solve anything and I think most of the HSE guys that are listening to me will, will agree with me. You have to have senior management support, period. Otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels. Anyway, I got good senior management support, and we we actually fired the contractor. We gave, we gave him a chance, and then we fired him. Got a new contractor. We basically uh, uh, sat down with him and said, here are the rules. You either follow them or you're not going to be here long. And he agreed. I guess they wanted that job bad. And they started doing the thing they were supposed to do, the training, you know, the making sure they vetted the people properly. 
you know, the devices that we put on the trucks, the maintenance, all the proper procedures. You can't drive for, for 18 or 20 hours a day. All the things we put in, put in place. Well, long story short, in two years, we went from, when I first went there, we were in the bottom 10% of what they call the league tables. That's a British term for where they compare assets. And there was 120 assets in BP at that time. And Pakistan was in the bottom uh, 10%. When I left, and I'd already told you the number of fatalities we had per month, one or more per month, and the, the dozen or more uh, lost time accidents, when when I was, able, was moved out of there, uh, they hadn't had a fatality in a year, and their lost time accident had gone into the, the range where it was in the, the, the top, what they call industry best. So we went from the bottom 10% to the top 10% in BP's league tables in two years. That was using the, the principles of risk assessment and the principles of contract safety. So uh, that was just. Wow. Congratulations. That's, that's, that's quite an achievement. Now, now, uh, okay. So that starts with what you call this quantitative risk assessment, uh, which you say is a simple concept. Uh, it, it sounds actually rather complicated to me. Uh, and I know you said you nowadays we, we plug everything into a computer. I guess AI is starting to play a, a, a part in that. But uh, uh, who comes up with these quantitative risk assessments? Well, believe it or not, the uh, – there, there are. If you look on Amazon or any other uh, book uh, company, uh, you'll find dozens and dozens and dozens of books on quantitative risk risk assessment. Uh, QRA, as they call it, this is a common phrase among uh, HSE professionals or among oil and gas people. Uh, it's been around well before the 90s even i mean in the in the early 90s it was already being used in europe however it wasn't being used at all in the early 90s in the united states uh one of your uh uh episodes a few weeks ago was with a gentleman where he talked about he actually mentioned the the phillips uh petroleum disaster and oh my goodness if i think if they had used quantitative risk assessment that would not have ever happened um but it it started coming into being russell in the united states in the late in the late 90s mid to late late 90s and but it had already been in effect in europe before then now it, it was in its infinite infinite infant stage uh in Europe, but the uh, technical people in the large in the large oil companies like BP, like Shell, like Total, like Exxon, were already in the process of starting to use quantitative risk assessment, especially uh, to evaluate uh, properties uh, for safety that they they had built many years ago, and also definitely for uh, projects where they were building, say they were building a new refinery or a new petrochemical plant uh, or, or, or a new oil facility or whatever. Uh, and today is standard practice. And so, uh, yes, they, it's computerized, and I'm sure it's going to be AI, but don't get confused with 
quantitative risk assessment, process safety management, and personnel safety. They are two different things, even though the principles of a risk assessment and risk management are the same. Yeah, we. Uh, I, th- I think the uh, I think the interview you're referring to was uh, was with Dan Lepsack of uh, Baker Hughes, and uh, and and he did a great job of of you know uh, differentiating between the two and and the fact that, however, in in any situation, you, you you still apply the 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 QAR, uh, so that's your risk assessment. But but now you've got that that second element that you're talking about, which is risk management. So uh, it was it was fine to to sit down and 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 figure out all the the problems that they were having. But uh, managing the solutions to these things that's a whole nother ball game, right? Oh, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought that up because this is something that has has evolved over the last. I would guess 40 years or more. And what we have done, if you if you go back to the rudimentary job safety analysis, everybody I'm speaking to here knows what a job safety analysis is. But when when you actually implement risk management, that basically starts at, at the top. I mean, I'm talking about at the at the leader, if say if it's if it's an asset and you have a president of an asset, uh he starts with understanding uh, the the uh, philosophy and and what it means to manage risk. He is taught now, and he is he he actually probably knows more uh, about risk assessment than if you go back fifty years, an HSE manager would have known about risk assessment and risk management. And what what has has happened is that we have got leadership buy-in over the last 50 years. And now uh, what we do is we push uh, risk assessment and risk management all the way down from the CEO or the president in an asset all the way down to the worker. And the worker practices risk assessment and risk management. And uh, let me just put risk risk assessment in, in two simple uh, two simple terms. Um, first, you identify what is okay. What's the risk? Okay, once you've identified the hazards and the risk, then what you say? Okay, what is the probability of that uh, incident? That that bad thing. And I'm gonna keep things in layman's terms. What's the probability of that that bad thing happening? You get your arm cut in the, you're using some kind of device that, that, that could could cut you as a, as a simple example there so was the what's the probability of that happening and then you say the other side of risk assessment is what are the results what what are the consequences you have probability and consequences are really the only two simple there's the two simple uh, aspects of risk assessment and if the probability is low then you have a low on either case, uh, let's say that that how how bad you get hurt is low, or how or we could go to the consequences. Say say well, uh, I mean I mean I'll start start over again. I'm sorry. Probability. How probable is is something bad going to happen? If it, if the probability is low, then that has an effect. And then you look at the consequence size. Well, if the probability is is high, or is it low? And 
those all both of those play a picture and especially in quantitative risk assessments uh and i'm jumping again but in in in, if we jump over to quantitative risk assessments we've got to the point now where it's in the uh one in a million one in several million uh chances of something bad happening like for instance if the consequence is uh that you're going to blow up the plant the consequence is you're going to have a major fire and you're going to kill people. Then you have to keep the probability of that happening very, very low. And so you combine the probability of it happening with the consequences to come up with what you call a risk assessment. And then you get into acceptability of risk assessments. And if it's going to kill people, then you're not going to accept risk. Uh, at a at a high level, you're going to get that risk level down real low. Well, basically, you're doing the same thing. And what you try to do is you teach the worker in a much simpler layman's terms. You say, okay, as you're doing your job, whether it's let's say that you're cleaning a vessel in in a in a refinery or chemical plant, or let's say that you're welding, or that you're uh, that you have something to do with. Uh, uh, working working at heights, for example, or whether you're you're in excavation and you're way down deep in a an excavation, what you do is you you look at well, what are my risks? Okay, is it probable? Once you identify the the things that could happen to you, like for example, uh, if you're in, you're down in a an excavation, is it going to fall in on me? Uh, what's the probability of, of 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 that happening? And so you would go through the scenario of saying, well, do I have all the safety devices and safety systems and safety barriers that I need to prevent that from happening? And then you can say, okay, yeah, the risk is pretty low. And then you go over to the consequence side and you say, well, if it does fall in on me, what's the consequences? Well, if you're in excavation, if it falls in and you're below six feet, most likely you're going to, you're going to die. So those are the, the concepts that, that you teach you got it down to the worker. And I remember when you were talking to the other gentleman, he's talking about having uh, these toolbox meetings and toolbox meetings have evolved from being just, well, guys go out there and be safe. That's the way it used to be 50 years ago to now. They say, okay, let's go over. What are you going to be doing today? And usually it's, it's been written. And if you're a really good in HSE, you'll have had the, operator himself working with a an hse professional help him write what are the things i need to do what are the safety factors i need to understand have i looked into all the safety factors before i start the job have i have i got them ready am i going to use them uh so risk assessment is probably the and then risk management and that's risk management itself because that supervisor and when he goes out there and he has his toolbox meeting with his crew he's managing that crew and when he has that toolbox meeting before he starts work he's managing the risk assessment and then the worker he's he's managing the risk assessment himself because he knows what he's supposed to do to to avoid having uh this bad hazard happen to him well and uh You've actually, you've actually, uh, you've actually developed some of these, uh, some of these programs uh, and uh, established criteria that's now being used around the globe, haven't you? Uh, yes, sir. Well, I won't take all the credit, I, but but uh, when I was working in 
in Abu Dhabi for the National Oil Company of Abu Dhabi, um, it has the, the advantage of being a, a, share, a shareholder company, which means that uh, companies like Exxon, uh, Shell, uh, BP, Total, and I think there's a, there's a couple others, uh, actually own a percentage, they're shareholders, of, of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company. And I was assigned there as a as as a uh, expat working inside of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, as were the Shell, Exxon, and all the others. And one of the advantages is they get to use the expertise of these people. And, and this is a, a unique situation, especially it was for me, because how many times does a, does a BP person or a Shell person get to work directly with a BP or a Shell or Exxon and talk about issues that are common to whether it's production or whether it's uh, HSE or whether it's accounting or whatever you're, you're talking about, well, this is how we do things in our company. And then they come up with a, well, here, here's the way we're going to do it here. And uh, it was really unique. And one of the things that uh, I was able to do is we had a committee that was put together by Adnoc. They requested it. And I was fortunate enough to be named the chairman of the committee for developing uh, Adnox, uh, uh, they called it, I think the title of the document is called uh, Risk Assessment and Risk Acceptability Criteria, uh, which is basically, uh, it was about a 35, 40-page 40, 40 book with, uh, with uh, lots of graphs, lots of uh, uh, documentation and graphs to where we started off explaining what risk assessment, risk management was, but the key to this document was the risk acceptability criteria, which basically, this was new to them. They had never done this before, and I'll be honest with you, at the time that, that I was on this committee and the chairman of this committee, uh, very few of the majors, I'm talking about you know, the ones I had mentioned, had actually accepted this as part of their their national or international policies. In other words, how how far will we go in building something, uh, knowing that we've calculated that if there's there's a possibility of a risk of so many people dying and uh, what, you know, and we're using the millions now. Uh, it's uh, some companies, and we all do not use the same risk acceptability criteria. And, and I use that as a layman's term because you all can understand, well, you have to, ex what, at what risk do we accept? And that we actually uh, do these calculations and we calculate how many people could possibly die and we let the computer generate this and we do everything we can. If it's not at our level, we do everything we can. We say, nope, we're going back. We're going to add extra safety factors. Uh, and so anyway, this document is now being has been circulated around the world. And I, I, I told you this story as we were talking the other day on the phone. Uh, when, when I finished up my career with, uh, with BP, I went to work uh, with DNV, Detnorski Veritas, which is a, a Norwegian company, which, by the way, is the largest uh, risk management company in the world. It's actually the oldest in the world too, by the way, they started off in the shipbuilding company and about how to safely build ships back in the 1800s. And, um, one, one of the first things when I, when I showed up on, 
as a job as a technical safety analyst, uh, I saw a, a copy of that document sitting on one of my supervisor's desk. And I said, where did you get this? And I said, oh, well, we've been using it in our risk assessment. <laughs> and I said, oh, my goodness. And, and I said, well, you know, I was uh, the, the chairman of that committee that helped develop this. And I, I think when they gave they, their eyes rolled as if they didn't believe me. So I don't care. I, I, I was you, you, <laughs> you've had a couple of people that said that safety is not something that we care about uh, swapping our our. our, our providing to other people uh, free of charge i mean it's yeah safety is not proprietary that, you know, that, that was uh, a subject of that was actually yeah. your title safety is not proprietary and that's exactly the well, truth well ron i really appreciate you coming on talking uh so you're i guess you've had two careers you had bp and you had dnv and you're kind of well now i guess you got three careers because now you're you're sort of semi-retired but you still take on a few projects uh through your own little consulting company uh hse solutions is that right that is correct and actually i probably could do an ep do an episode of of the the things that that have happened to me when i was after i retired and people call me up and said ron can you do this for me and I said, I had to think about it a minute. And because uh, I ended up going to Kazakhstan and end up going to India and uh, and then I end up doing well other job we're gonna have to we're gonna have to talk about that maybe on a on, on another podcast but uh, uh, we're gonna let this be a wrap right here uh, Ron, I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, I started to ask, uh, are you on LinkedIn? But I know you're on LinkedIn because that's actually how I found you. Uh, so we'll put your uh, your LinkedIn uh, URL uh, contact info in, in the show notes uh, so people can, can reach out to you uh, if they'd like to get more uh, information uh, from you or visit with you or, or even, uh, even hire you. Uh, as always, thanks everybody out there uh, for listening. Uh, you know, tune in again next week for another episode of the OGGN HSE uh, podcast. Remember, it is sponsored by Knowledge Vine. Their website and contact information is in the show notes. Uh, remember that uh, Knowledge Vine is your dependable partner for full service human performance and safety consulting. Knowledge Vine is error reduction at works, and we'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.